You know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. Welcome to the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today. I've got another great interview for you, and this is another one that I'm digging out of the archives from the live LinkedIn series that I did back in April, May of 2020 when we were just in lockdown and everybody was trying to figure out what was going on. And I had some really epic, fantastic guests on my show on the LinkedIn live series I did, and I planned on publishing these on this podcast I'm going to share a great one with you today. It's with Michael Bungay-Stanier, who is the best-selling author of the book, The Coaching Habit, and his second book is called The Advice Trap. The Coaching Habit has sold nearly a million copies. It is a fantastic book. Highly recommend it if you are a manager or you coach anybody at all, um, and it's really about just the five simple questions or things you can do to be a great coach. It's really simple, really easy, uh, and that's why the book has been so successful. I have two copies on my shelf. I refer to it all the time. And I've had Michael on my other podcast a couple times. He spoke. He was the closing keynote speaker at my conference that I ran back in January 2020, the Talent Development Think Tank, with my friend Bennett Phillips. He absolutely crushed it at that event because he got people together, paired them up, had them working together and coaching each other. And we talk about that uh, in this conversation. And so you're going to hear us referring to the beginning of the pandemic and how we stopped traveling and how we're adapting. Um, But we're also going to talk about how do you communicate? How do you have the right conversations with people, especially virtually? How do you coach and how do you really be there for your people? If you're a manager, you need to listen to this. Even if you are not a manager, but you have colleagues, you have people you work with, uh, I think you can benefit from listening to this interview. Uh, Before we get into it, just a reminder, uh, this podcast, of course, is an extension of my book, which is called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It was published back in November 2020. I'm excited that it's doing very well. We've, as I recorded this, uh, over 140 reviews on Amazon. Love for you to add yours to that. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, you can get your copy on Amazon. If you read it on the Kindle and you want a physical copy, if you haven't left a review yet, go leave a review on Amazon. Send me a screenshot, and I'll be happy to mail you a signed copy of my book as my thanks. My email address is andy at andystorch.com, and I really appreciate you reading, listening, and supporting the podcast and the book and everything we're doing here. Um, I also want to remind you I have free resources on our website, including the three questions to ask whenever you face any kind of challenge, uh, as well as the new uh, report I created, Five Steps to Owning Your Career, That's all available on our website, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com. So make sure you go get a copy of that. All right, without any further ado, here is the interview I recorded live on LinkedIn with Mr. Michael Bungay-Stanier, best-selling author of The Coaching Habit. All right, we are live with Michael Bungay-Stanier, author of The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap, and also a host of the new podcast, We Will Get Through This. Michael, welcome to the show. Andy, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. We're starting to do this regularly. I know, I right? This I, I a... see you more often than I see my wife, but in a time of lockdown, that's no longer true. I now see my wife a lot, which is awesome. I hope that's yeah. I hope that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. I'm definitely seeing my wife and kids a lot more uh, during this uh, COVID nineteen crisis. And some people see their spouses all the time, but you and I have a habit of getting on planes a lot to fly places and and speak had, and facilitate had workshops. A, had, had a habit. Yeah. Had we had we had a habit of doing that. Um, we don't do that anymore, at least not for now. 
Um, so yeah, maybe we'll start there. How are you handling all of that? You know, honestly, pretty good. You know, there's that scale, right, between what bad actually looks like and you don't have to go too far down the road metaphorically to kind of understand just what crappiness really looks like, which is, you know, you have people who are gravely ill or who have died, you're a health worker, you're stressed out, you're losing your job, you you know, there's a place to be where you can be in a complete swamp of misery and uncertainty, and that's very hard. And I don't have any of that. So honestly, you know, there are moments where I feel a little caged and I'm pacing back and forth like a panther in a zoo. But um, mostly it's like I'm I'm pretty lucky to be pretty sheltered from the effects of this. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that uh, you're focusing a lot on gratitude and keeping things in perspective that uh, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. You know, I live up in Canada as well. And like, I'm actually quite proud of our response as a connect, as, as a company and as a government across Canada, because, you know, like in the States, we've got provincial uh, kind of local towns, mayors of our towns. We've got our provincial governors, um, which we call premiers. And then we've got our prime minister and the federal government. And even though actually in Canada, the, the premiers of the, the provinces are typically from the more conservative side of politics and our prime minister and the federal government is more on the the liberal side the Demo uh, the left wing side so not natural collaborators there's been an extraordinary and aligned degree of collaboration and support and cooperation in a way that just makes you go this is really impressive i mean the the premier of canada is not a guy whose politics i naturally relate to hmm. and he's actually doing a really great job and honestly i never thought i'd say that about him but he's actually just leading in a very clear very decisive very compassionate way it's very impressive this is uh, absolutely uh, a rare and um i don't know interesting time for people to be able to step up as leaders right even someone yeah. we may not have seen before and uh, I know you work with a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders, especially coaching on coaching. Yeah. Um, what do you think for people out there who are leading or trying to lead in organizations is most important right now to be uh, seen as a great leader and really to help your people come through this? Well, I always try and go high level first. So, um, and I always am wary about advice that's too specific and too generic because it, it's just, it's like, I... LinkedIn is flooded by people going, here are my eight, 83 steps to surviving COVID. And it's like, <laughs> I may or may or may not be guilty of posting one of those. <laughs> yeah. So, so the principle I'm holding for myself, and it might be helpful for others listening in, is to say, how do I do my best job on a day to day and sometimes hour by hour basis of steering between the light and the dark? Because it is really easy for you to kind of spiral off into the darkness of it and and the crisis of it. And, you know, our little amygdala brain, our lizard brain hates uncertainty. So we're in this, we're, we, we're all feeling exhausted and run down because our, our brain has been fretting now for four to six to eight to 12 weeks, just going, what is happening here? Right. So it's easy for you to kind of get flooded by that and go off into the darkness and kind of go, well, we're doomed and this is a disaster and kind of, you know, to be become reactive like that. But if you go, 
into the light too far, you're now moving into, uh, oh, this is amazing. This is the reinvention of capitalism. I'll get to pivot. I'll get to do this. I'm feeling optimistic. You know, you and I were talking about right. kind of accidental diminishers as a nod to Liz Wiseman's work. Right. Um, and there's a way that being an optimist at a time like this could definitely be a diminishing act. Yep. So for me, I'm like, okay, you want to, I know some of the people listening and will have heard of the Stockdale paradox, which is you know, from the Vietnam uh, war with Stockdale in a uh, prisoner of war camp. And the paradox is that it is the optimist who die first hmm. because they're the ones who go, Oh, we'll be, we'll be done by <laughs> Easter. We'll open the economy by Easter. All right. right. We'll open the economy by July. Okay. We'll open the economy by September. Yeah. And, at a certain point, they're like, we're, we're, never, we're not opening the economy, and they kind of give up. And the people who survive, and of course, this goes all the way back to Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, are the people who are grounded, realistic, acknowledge what is going on right now, and are also optimistic about what's going on. It's why it drives me nuts to see people, and honestly, it's people in the States mostly at the moment, it seems, kind of protesting around the open up the state it's right. time this is the government conspiracy trying to like ridiculous it's right. like <laughs> be realistic yeah because you will die first yeah and you and honestly it, it's it's how you affect infect everybody else that i'm most worried about and all of that right yeah you have a you have a personal responsibility so yeah uh, a balance of optimism and supporting people and also being realistic and and having that kind of empathy to be able to talk to people and, and listen. Yeah. So I go like find the the balance between the dark and the light and be the signal you want to see yourself. You know, as a facilitator, there's a principle that my friend Mark Bowden taught me, which was people respond to the strongest signal in the room. So you have an invitation and an opportunity to be the strongest signal in the room. You have the opportunity to go, oh, look, look at how Andy's showing up. That is calming and helpful and directional and supportive and encouraging. That's the person I want to <laughs> kind of, that's the type of infection I want to get some of that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. And I think the empathy, the communication, that balance, uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about coming into this, and there's always many questions and many things to discuss, um, but you you came out with this book, The Advice Trap, uh, the end of February, and I know you've yeah. been doing a lot of interviews on that, uh, probably well, it's starting with normal times well into COVID-19 and probably seeing the questions change. Um, there is a propensity uh, for a, a lot of us who want to step up and be leaders and be helpful to start to give a lot of advice. Like totally. you said, here are my top 10 tips. I may or may not published a podcast episode and a post on my top 10 tips for surviving coronavirus, that. right? Um, so what's the balance there of you know being right. helpful versus giving too much advice? So I, you've actually got the answer in the question, which is, so what's the balance between giving advice and staying curious? Knowing that your brain is pushing you hard to create certainty. You want it for yourself. You want it for others. Others want it from you. Ever is like, can we have the answer now, please? <laughs> I just need to talk to the manager who's in charge of COVID-19 right. so I can understand when this will be done. <laughs> Tell us when this is over. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I need to escalate this call. I need to speak to your manager, please. And like, there is no manager. Um, so 
you know, there's there was a good article in the um, in the Harvard Business Review the other day from just doing an analysis of uh, is it the New York governor or the New York mayor Cuomo just oh, going look, analyzing how he is communicating and how clear and direct and succinct and uncomplicated he is communicating right now and it's a great example of certainty and the appropriate type of certainty in a time like this but there's also it is important not to move away from the power of curiosity in a time like this because i i do think curiosity is a superpower and there's a way that what curiosity does is it invites people in it shares power and it shares responsibility and it shares accountability. It generates better ideas and better options. It gets greater clarity on what the real problems are so we can get better grounded in what's really going on. So there's absolutely a place to say, look, for sure, there are times where you need to be decisive. You need to be clear. You need, if you're a leader to, you know, repeat, this is all right. We have to focus on the 20% that is the essential right now. Let me repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat what that 20% is. So we all spend what energy we have on the right stuff. And also curiosity. It's also about blending that in. And of course, different people listening in, different imp levels of importance around curiosity. But um, you, you're looking for that mix. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Liz Weissman and multipliers earlier. Uh, I think what one of the things that came out of her research is one of the top things that multiplier leaders uh, do is they lead with curiosity. Uh, you talk about it in your books, of course, the importance of curiosity. I wrote yep. about it in my book that I'm writing right now, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, um, in my section about how I've been able to build such a big network and and so many relationships over the years, it's because every event and conference I go to, I lead with curiosity, trying to get right. to know people, understand them. And uh, lo and behold, people like talking about themselves. So <laughs> I, I make a lot of friends that way. You know what? I think it's also people like being listened to. Yes. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a twist in what you're saying, which is people like talking about themselves. That's true. Yeah. But it's also an amazingly rare experience to have somebody give you their full attention. Yep. And if you're able to ask a question and then listen intensely to the answer so that you're like, I'm, I'm hearing you, <laughs> you know, I'm like looking in your eyes and I'm going to connect into you as a human being. People kind of remember that because they're like, wow, that was a really connected conversation. Yeah. And you, Ran that exercise, so I didn't even mention this earlier for anybody tuning in, but you were the closing keynote speaker at my conference, the Talent Development Think Tank in January that I ran with my friend Bennett Phillips and uh, absolutely crushed it. Amazing, fantastic experience. Thank and you. one of the things you did was pair people up and have them coach each other, give have conversations, listen to each other. And I remember a couple of the comments at the end were from people saying, it's been a while since someone has actually just given me their full attention <laughs> right. and listened to what I'm going through. It was powerful. Yeah. And, you know, the rules of engagement around that was I gave, you know, I gave person A in the pair a question. And then I said, that's it. That's the only thing you're allowed to say in this whole conversation. And it's a three minute conversation. So you pretty much got nothing else to do other than listen now, because you don't have to think of the next thing to say. You don't have to come up with the next question. You don't have to come up with a pithy responder to whatever they're saying. Actually, the, the rule is you ask the question, then you shut up. So they're like, 
okay then <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll shut up and i'll listen and it really is it's like the energy in the room from the front is fantastic because you've got those people you've got that kind of intensity of conversation that's going on yeah absolutely and it's amazing how people show up and even get deeper into what they're thinking when they know someone's actually listening we got a couple of comments on our uh, we're live on linkedin a couple of comments on there one from my friend john hernandez who was at that conference uh, who said, yes, people cherish the experience of being heard. Uh, Andrea Clough, who has become a friend through LinkedIn, who said, when someone truly listens, people talk differently. Right. right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it, and it kind of connects to the power of, of silence in this as well. Because so often, you know, somebody makes an opening remark and then stops because they're like, at this stage, the other person will interrupt with their piece because that's what always happens. And if you go, mm-hmm, <laughs> and then be quiet they're like okay and however awkward the silence might feel for you on one side of the conversation it feels the same on the other side of conversation so after about three seconds they're like oh and let me tell you something else here as well and the conversation can go quite deep quite quickly i have a a friend named larry yach who's a retired uh, u.s navy seal veteran officer and uh he led this group call the other night that i joined uh and he said to kick things off that just so you know, I have a tolerance for pain and awkward silence greater than any of you on this call. So if I ask a question, I will sit here silently until someone answers, no matter how long it takes. I thought that was pretty now, funny. I, I, I would say there is no doubt that that is true around pain. <laughs> I'm not going to compete with an ex-Navy SEAL about pain tolerance. I'm like, I've lost that within about the first three seconds. But in terms of awkward, long silences, I reckon I could give him a run for his money. Hmm. Nice. I would, I would, uh, I would challenge you with that right now, but I don't want to waste too much of our airtime with awkward <laughs> silence. Um, I want to pivot to uh, the new podcast you started, which yeah. is called "We Will Get Through This," um, yeah. all about resilience, right, during these troubled times. And I'm yeah. curious, you know, why you started that, and what have you learned so far? You know, I I ran a podcast for many years called the Great Work Podcast. It's still you can still find episodes on on iTunes, of course. And uh, I, I did it a lot. I mean, I did three or 400 episodes. So I talked to a lot of really interesting people. But I found that I, at a certain point, I'd lost my way a little bit. I wasn't sure why I was talking to anybody or what the focus was anymore. And when you build a bit of a, a, a successful podcast, you're then besieged by people who want to be guests on your podcast. So it's like, okay, send me your book. All right. right. It's not a very good book, but I said, yes. So now I'll interview you. And it's like, I kind of got a bit muddied. And I also felt that um, it wasn't as different as it used to be because it used to be more unique. I mean, I started it before there was actually a phenomenon called podcasting. I called it right. the great work interviews at the time. And then at a certain point I went, I think everybody's calling these podcasts. So I better do the same. Um, and I've kind of missed talking to interesting people. And it's one of the ways for me, Andy, that I get to be curious and I get to expand the people I know and the people whose thinking I understand because I kind of force myself to try and talk outside my normal sphere of, of people I know so I can meet them, connect with them, engage with them. And if I find a really good writer, I mean, I'm reading this book at the moment. I'm going to show you two great books. Because I want both of these people to come on the podcast. One said yes, one's thinking about it. Okay. Um, the Optimist Telescope, Thinking Ahead in a Reckless Age by Bina Venkataraman. 
maimed that name. So sorry, Bina, if you're listening in. But this is a really good book. She's a journalist. She writes in the Boston Globe, I think. Okay. And it's about fundamentally, or at least the half of the book I've read so far is about why is it so hard for us to behave in a way that benefits our future self? Why do we always take the short-term loser action, That's which good feels question. good in the moment, as opposed to training for the bigger thing. Not always, but why is it so hard? Yeah. So that's excellent. I think I do the opposite. Anyway, go on. (laughs) And then this book uh, has been out for a number of years by Aaron Dignan, who is a bit of a friend of mine now. I founded a company called The Ready, Brave New Work. It is superb if you're interested in thinking about how work can be more human-centric and less machine-like. Because let's face it, capitalism is pretty, you know, it has its roots in, I, I run factories <laughs> where people act as kind of indentured slaves to, to build stuff. And of course, things have changed since then. But honestly, the org chart from an, a, a 1780s factory and the org chart from a Fortune 100 company, not that different. And... Um, if you buy into the idea that our organizations are complex systems, meaning you can't just pull a lever and stuff comes out the other side in terms of making change happen or engaging people. And if anybody's been involved in change management, you know that's true. And if you buy into the insight that our organizations tend to trend towards dehumanizing us rather than rehumanizing us, and, you know, it's very easy to feel like you're a bit of a cog in a big machine. And then this book is full of really great insights and suggestions based on, on the work they do with real clients to kind of change some of that up. Interesting. So, yeah, this gives you a platform to go out again and interview interesting people. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really trying to um, bring in people from different perspectives, both at an individual level, at a team level, at an organizational level, at a, at a physical level, at a spiritual level. I mean, one of my guests um, who I'm interviewing for the second season is a death doula. So um, kind of the equivalent of a midwife, but to help people die well. Mm. And I'm like, how interesting is that? (laughs) It's going to be fascinating to go, so how do you transition? How do you accept loss? Um, That's part of what, for me, helps build a a more nuanced understanding of what resilience might be. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, is there one, I'm sure that you, I know you're a very curious person, you learn things from everybody, but is there one lesson that sticks out that you've learned so far about resilience or from the people that you've interviewed? Yeah, you know, I I haven't released this episode yet. It, it releases uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but I talked to somebody who used to be a boss of mine. Her name is Kate Lai, and she is an extraordinary executive coach now. I mean, really, she coaches right at the very top of the house of really big companies. And she was talking about something called your resilience MO or your resilience modus operandi. And she was effectively saying – if you go onto LinkedIn or Medium or wherever you go to get your stuff and you read the five tips to be resilient, it's it's like reading this is the five this is the five meals you should eat for a good diet. It's like it doesn't work because we all have different yeah. contexts and different systems and different ways of working. And you've actually got to understand 
what your own triggers are, what your own values are, so you can build your own resilience plan, your own resilience modus operandi. And I thought one of her insights, which are obvious when she said it, but I hadn't thought of it, was that we each get destabilized by different things. So there'll be some people who will go, look, money is my triggering thing. When the money, something happens to the money, however you want to take that, that's where you kind of lose it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, ah. Um, other people are like, okay, actually when this happens, that's the thing that is a, a, a triggering thing for me. That's the disrupting factor for me. Right. And you've got to know what your top two or three disruptors are. And, you know, your disruptors, Andy, and my disruptors, different things. It's a bit like, you know, Liz Wiseman's work again, going back to that going. We have different strengths that and, and kind of multiplier effects, but we have unintended consequences and we have a different makeup for each of us. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. And you're right. I mean, people give so much advice, but it's it's very broad and everybody's different. Everybody's got different situations. Uh, I was curious. I want to... Um, uh, satisfy my curiosity. You came out with this this book in at the end of February, and yep. uh, you talked about starting this podcast. So you could start to do these interviews again and and ask questions of interesting people. I know you've been doing a ton of podcast interviews on the other side, like this, where you're getting interviewed. Yeah, uh, I see you everywhere all the time, <laughs> which is something people say to me. I think Thank you're you. even you're even more everywhere. And uh, I'm curious. You know, obviously, the world has changed completely since you published that book. How has the launch gone? How has that kind of tour gone? And, and yeah. how do you still manage to show up everywhere? So I would say the launch has been anticlimactic. Mm. And um, if I hold on to it a little too tightly, I'd go, oh, I'm a bit disappointed by the launch. Now, the, the broader context is my previous book, The Coaching Habit, which has you know, sold 800,000 copies, has just set an impossibly high bar Seriously. So pretty much short of the Queen of England calling me up going, nice job on the book, Michael. It would have been a disappointment. So I'm like, okay, that's just what's going to happen anyway. Um, but, you know, launching a book in a time of a pandemic is not that great because people aren't that interested. And the advice trap when people are like, give me the advice on how to survive a pandemic also is not a title that is as resonant as it might be. And... All of the work I try and do, I try and play a longer game on. You know, Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Evergreen, I think. Um, and he's basically saying, I remember reading a, a piece where he goes, Look, for both of my, all of my books, and he's written six or seven. At least, yeah. Um, and they, and a number of them have been New York Times bestsellers. The, the sales in the launch period, the first two or three weeks, are less than 3% of the overall sales of the book. And that's it. That's the answer right there, which is the launch has been disappointing or a bit disappointing. It's not been totally disappointing. Um, you know, there's a stage where all three, three of my books, The Coaching Habit and The Kindle and the print copy of The Advice Trap were the top three coaching books on Amazon. So that was cool. Mm. Um, but it's a question of going, but I'm playing a longer game here. I'm like, how do I get this book out in the world how do I get the flywheel spinning over the next couple of years? And actually, it's got me thinking about, so what does marketing look like now? You know, there's a fam famous Gabriel Garcia Marquez book called Love in the Time of Cholera. Um, and, you know, I'm like, so what's book marketing in the time of cholera? How does that 
different. Mm. <laughs> what do I do now? Yeah. Um, you know, podcasts are less effective than they were four years ago because there's more of them. Right. And because right now everybody's going, I've got nothing else to do. Why don't I pump some content out into the world? So it's, it's noisy right now. There's a yeah. lot of people shouting. So it's a little harder to be heard. But this too will pass. I agree. I agree. It will pass. The world may change a bit. Um, people will still read books. They'll still listen to podcasts. Exactly. They'll still do work. They'll still make money. Um, as I start to make the plan to publish my own book in the fall, what's one piece of advice you would give to me? A totally selfish question right now. Well, the, I would say, first of all, is you want to be thinking about your book marketing now. And you might even want to be thinking about how to build marketing stuff into your book right now. So for instance, in my book, I have something called the year of living brilliantly. So all the people listening and I hope you, you're taking notes on this. You can find this at mbs.works, which is my website and just go there and you'll see something called the year of living brilliantly. It is a year long video based training course, 52 amazing teachers, 52 videos over a, a video per week plus some follow-on stuff. And I built it into the book. It's free, but it's designed to say, hey, people, come along to my website because there's some interesting stuff there. And it allows me to start building a tribe based on my website, based on the book. So I'm like, this is how the marketing happens. It's, an, it's a built-in, clear benefit to people to kind of get engaged with me. So I'd be going, so how do people come and find you once they read the book? How do they connect with you? How do they go, I want to be part of Andy's tribe? Right. Yeah. Great advice. Love it. Uh, and I'm doing those things. Awesome. Uh, okay. Last question for you. Um, one of the reasons I started this series is as a companion to the book to help people think about taking ownership of their career. And, and I think that's yeah. becoming more important now than ever. Uh, so when you think about that term, owning your career, and also the people that are uh, maybe struggling a bit right now, worried about their job or their career, where things are going, what's one more piece of advice you would give to people out there in the working world? I'm just asking for advice now from the man who wrote the advice trap again. <laughs> I know. I, we, we all get the irony of that. Or, or the alternative question is, what does it mean to own your career right now? <laughs> nice. Um, I think the... One of the questions in the coaching habit book, number four out of the list of seven, is what do you want? And I think it's the hardest of the seven questions to answer. Uh, but one of the things that happens when things get thrown up in the air and disrupted is there's often a bit of space for you to go, well, what do I actually want now? <laughs> you know, there are some people I know, there's a friend of mine who's closing her business here in Toronto. And there's part of her goes, she's going, it's, it's not as bad as you might think because I was a bit stuck in this business. I, I built it and I don't love it as much as I thought I would, but I've now got this kind of infrastructure that I'm now feel committed to keeping going. And now that infrastructure has crumbled, she gets to sit with that question around what, so what do I want? So the, the, the thing that I'd offer up as a question for people is whatever your career is, whether you're shaping your own career, whether you're building a side hustle whether you're full on on the corporate race and you're like, I've got a target. Um, if you know what you want, then you're able to build a plan. Because if you go, I know what I want, then I'm stealing, I'm going to steal Roger Martin's question, which is what would need to be true for that to happen? Right. 
And now things get interesting. If you don't know what you want, you know, you end up climbing the wrong mountain. You just react. You know, there's a quote from antiquity. If you don't know where you're sailing, every wind is the right wind. Mm. So know where you're sailing, know what mountain you want to climb. And that allows you to start shaping your career and shaping your life. Yeah. If you have a vision, you have a direction, you know where you want to go. You can start to make a plan. It's easier to make the decisions along the way, respond to opportunities that come your way. Uh, and I think it provides a lot more certainty and therefore a lot more fulfillment as well. Exactly. Michael, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, My pleasure, Andy. I hope everybody goes out and buys The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap. Fantastic books. Thank uh, you. And your website, again, is mbs.works. mbs.works and ton of free stuff there, but you really might like The uh, Year of Living Brilliantly. And uh, we will get through this as the name of the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Andy. Nice to see you again, man. Mm -hmm.